Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. What were Americans hearing prior to Pearl Harbor? That's a great question, and today's program offers a bit of an answer. Uh, we're uh, we're going to play a short program for you today. Uh, this uh, is only a, a little less than 15 minutes long, but well worth a listen. It is the CBS World News Today from December 6th of 1941, the day before Pearl Harbor. The World Today. The Columbia Broadcasting System now presents a summary of all the important news in the world today. Reports from CBS correspondents by Transatlantic and Trans-Pacific Shortwave Radio, and the latest developments as received by Columbia's newsroom here in New York. Tonight, John Daly will call in Bob Trout from London, Ford Wilkins from Manila, and Albert Warner from our own national capital, Washington. Now first, John Daly. The Far East situation and the war in Russia and Libya top the news tonight. First, the story of the fighting in Europe and Africa before going to the Philippines and our own capital for reports on the crisis in Japanese-American relations. The Soviet version of the Russian war reports that along the Sea of Azov in the far south, the Red Army has driven the retreating Germans across the Mias River and established bridgeheads on the West Bank, thereby cutting off the enemy on the Taganrog Peninsula. Though the Moscow front, where the fighting is going on in weather from 10 to 15 degrees below zero, Asserted the Nazis have been hurled back along the Mojaisk Highway. Invaders are now more the victims of cold than of bullets, according to the Russians, who refer to the weather as our December frost. But in the Tula sector, south of the capital, the Russians admit a new German breakthrough, creating a critical situation in that zone. The latest Soviet official communique is vague, however, but Axis reports assert that a million and a half men are now driving on the capital. There is some evidence that Moscow is being attacked from the air as well. At Berlin, it's declared the great Russian drive in the south has been stopped, and it's asserted, contrary to the Soviet version, that the Germans are making progress in the Mojaisk sector of the Moscow Front. New severe fighting in Libya was reported by the German high command today, and a Rome communique describes heavy fighting in the desert around Deir el-Kobi. Details, however, are scant. That's the Libyan story, as reported by the Axis. We turn now to the British capital for the report of Bob Trout. Go ahead, London. London got today's communique from Libya, which told of British pressure on the enemy throughout the area of operation. There are no reports here indicating the start of any more major tank battles in Libya. But late tonight, London heard that two American-built Tomahawk planes have shot down 20 German Junkers die farmers in Libya. In less than 15 minutes, Great Britain will officially be at war with Romania, Hungary, and Finland. These three countries are regarded here as German puppets, and tonight the British radio reminded its home listeners that this is not the first time that German troops have established themselves in Finland. Twenty-four years ago, in the spring of 1918, German troops landed in Finland to take part in a war against Russia. It was over a month later, and then the Finns realized that the Germans had no intention of leaving. The Kaiser's brother-in-law became the king of Finland. And then the Allies defeated Germany, and Finland found herself free. The British home radio ended this talk by quoting the words of the British Foreign Secretary spoken in Parliament in August 1918. Said Mr. Balfour, next to being enslaved by Germany, there is no worse fate than being liberated by Germany. 
Finland is now being told that she owes her freedom to Germany, but Germany is plundering her, garrisoning her, using her form of government, and endeavoring to force her into the Great War. That was the British view in 1918, and that is the British view today. I heard the German radio say that Belgian King Leopold last December married Mary Lilia Bale, daughter of the former Belgian Minister of Agriculture, and a schoolgirl in England during the First World War. The Belgian government in London has no word of this reported marriage of the king. The Chinese ambassador, Dr. Wellington Koo, today said in London that if Japan decides to pounce on another victim, it would be as well that the democracies should avail themselves of the opportunity to remove, once and for all, this menace. Most of the time, the customary angry tone of Japanese newspapers causes no surprise here. But today, reports from Tokyo tell us that the Japanese papers are angry because Japan's reply to the United States was published in America. And this did surprise the British. It is the strangest reason for getting angry that London has heard in a long time. You have heard before that the position of the British government is that the Japanese talks are America's business and Great Britain is not including. But the British people believe that the Orient is just another sector on the worldwide front in this war, and of course, they are interested in it. A weekly review, The New Statesman and Nation, Today lists a few of the possibilities and wonders what the United States will do if Japan tries to attack Thailand, tries to attack British territory, or the Dutch East Indies, or Russia. The new statesman points out that Russia is excluded from the ABCD group and then says, Secretary of State Cordell Hull will never compromise over the basic principles of international morals which he reaffirmed in his last dispatch to Tokyo. How much he will do to enforce them is another matter. And now we continue the Far East story with a report direct from an American vantage point. Ford Wilkins is standing by in the Philippine capital. We take you now across the Atlantic and America and the Pacific. Go ahead, Manila. This is Manila. I am reporting to you this morning from the center of a circle of tension extending roughly 1,500 to 2,000 miles in either Preparations for war in this area have reached a new high level. In Singapore, where the British Eastern Fleet is based, they have that all naval personnel has been recalled to ships. All of their first pilots and men have been ordered to Paris and Paris. Unfortunately, only similar orders. Singapore has been on emergency status by order of the government for several days. Mobilization of volunteers has just been completed. The latest government decree prohibits non-registers from leaving the country without special permission. This report is prompting a Thai ship about to sail for Bangkok with 20 Japanese aboard. Four Japanese newspaper men were ordered to shore. This move has not been clear. At Bangkok, plans for removal of the capital of Thailand to an unspecified location in Singapore were announced by the Ministry of the Interior. Simultaneously, the Premier publication to announce Thailand had concluded no further talks with any foreign power. At the 
Batavia, capital of Java and government center for the Dutch East Indies, official last-minute preparations for war have been held. The least reserves have been mustered under service. The things are full wartime strength. Australia is in a state of intensity. At Melbourne, one correspondent able to enter down the lake of war with Japan. The Australian War Cabinet of Germany was suddenly recalled on information indicating sooner deterioration of the Far East political picture. All military leaves have been cancelled. Here in the Philippines, the Commonwealth government is urging plans to an emergency. After a meeting of government heads with President Cleveland and Bagier, residents of Manila, their home, or relatives in the provinces, were urged to leave the city as if they were. Compulsory evacuation of women, children, and men whose services are not perfectly required. There is a suggestion of closing the schools. The United States military and naval forces have no emergency orders, but they are in a state of constant preparation. In Shanghai, key active officials are reported to be conferring with Captain Fritz Wiedemann, German Consul General Frontenac, lately of San Francisco. Editors and Americans there and in Hong Kong have been advised to leave. This is Ford Wilkins in Manila, returning you now to CBS in New York. That was Ford Wilkins in Manila. Now Albert Warner is ready to report the Far East story from our own capital. We take you now to Washington. Against the dark counter moves of military preparation in the Far East, Washington maintained a grim silence today. White House and State Department waited for the reply which Japan is yet to make to Mr. Howe's note setting forth basic principles of Far Eastern settlement. They come to silence on the Japanese note of yesterday, which sought to explain Japanese troop movements into French Indochina. But Tokyo's soft answer had not turned away American suspicion. Washington is not convinced that the troop movements were exaggerated or that they were not bent on new aggression. But several senators read into the Japanese delay a hopeful sign. I have had the view all along, said Senator George, that the Japanese do not want to force the issue. Maxime Litvinov, the new Russian ambassador, arrives here by plane tomorrow. He landed in San Francisco today, voicing thanks for American aid in the Russian fight against Hitler. Russia has not been represented in these Far Eastern discussions. To be sure, they have been centered upon South Asia, and perhaps also Russia would prefer not to do anything which might promote it bickering with Japan. But the Soviet has a vital interest at stake. There is no outburst of statements here on the British declaration of war on Finland. It was expected. The secretaries of state and war have several times vainly urged Finland to rest upon the recovery of its lost territory. There is a report that the United States will take over Finnish ships in American waters. Finnish Minister Prokope tells us he has not been so notified yet. In his annual report, Secretary of the Navy Knox declares tonight that the United States has become the greatest naval power in the world. But he said we must arm against any possible combination of powers against us. The Secretary reports 325 new ships commissioned, 2,059 new airplanes acquired, about 700 vessels under construction, the 
chain of new ocean bases developed and personnel increased by 115,000 officers and men. Air bases in the Alaska and Aleutian Islands and elsewhere in the Pacific have a strategic importance which is obvious, Secretary Knox declared, perhaps with an eye on Japan. But Knox is a man who believes in keeping military secrets. Thus, though he discloses that the entire stock of fuel oil in Hawaii will be eventually stored underground, the four pages of his report, which deal with the American islands of Samoa and Guam in the far Pacific, read like a sociological survey. You learn about hurricanes, education, and banana production. And near the end, you will see a sentence. It says that economic conditions on the islands have improved due to money being spent on federal projects. That is the one small hint of new American striking power at one point only 1,500 miles from Japan. More labor trouble crops up. The Independent Welders Union says 75,000 men who hold key jobs in the defense program will strike in shipyards next Tuesday. Unless the AFL stops interfering with this union. For other news on the labor situation, I return you now to New York. Here in New York today, it was indicated that the captive coal mine dispute, which recently created the greatest threat to production since the defense program began, may be settled within the next 48 hours. Dr. John R. Steelman, who's chairman of the arbitration board in the union shop controversy, said that he hopes the board will be able to complete its task within that time. The board, consisting of John L. Lewis for the CIO and Benjamin Fairless for the captive mine owners, with Steelman as chairman, has recessed, recessed until noon tomorrow. And that's the story of labor. There is news from Latin America. President Batista of Cuba, a few hours ago, asked Cuba's Congress to declare a state of emergency and grant the cabinet extraordinary powers to rule by decree for 45 days. Batista declared Cuba's national defense effort required emergency action. In Mexico City, Vice Admiral Octavio de Mendoza has disclosed a Nazi plot to destroy the port of Tampico. He declared the captains and crews of ten active ships seized by the Mexican government at Tampico last April had loaded their vessels with combustibles with the aim of exploding their ships and the whole port as well. In Honduras today, President Carrillo Sandino told Parliament that he has documentary proof that Axis agents had attempted to set up puppet government in Latin America which would fight against the United States. In describing President Roosevelt as the defender of weak nations, Sandino declared that Honduras would do everything possible in support of democracy and its defense. In Argentina, police are taking special precautions tonight against possible disorders in tomorrow's election in the province of Buenos Aires, the most populous in the country, although it does not include the city of Buenos Aires. The race is between the conservative party of acting President Ramon S. Castillo and the radical party of the opposition, which is anti-Nazi and pro-democratic. The ministers of war and navy ordered all troops confined to barracks tomorrow, and all civilian planes will be grounded. And that's the world today. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, the newscast definitely communicated uh, alarm and concern, but few Americans could anticipate what December 7th would bring and how it would change American history. And we'll find out tomorrow on a special hour-plus episode of The War. So be back with us on Saturday for a Pearl Harbor special. But that's all for now. 
If you would like to share your experience or that of a loved one during World War II, please email your stories to box13 at greatdetectives.net. We'll consider all stories to be shared on the air. We also welcome your suggestion as to future programs. This program is dedicated to those who fought and died in World War II and is presented as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net. The opening theme is The Heroic by Ken Curlin, kencurlin.com.